Well, hey, we are in part two of a series we're calling The Main Thing. We're talking about our vision statement and making sure that we keep the main thing the main thing. One of my favorite quotes from Stephen Covey, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And I tell you what, that is true in church for sure, because it is so easy to get off track. It is so easy to get distracted, and especially in today's world. In today's world, there are so many distractions. You know, there's all the social media, the news, the, all the internet stuff, everything that's going on. There's all kinds of crazy stuff with COVID and political unrest and injustices and all kinds of problems going on. It's so easy to get off track, but we need to make sure we keep the main thing, the main thing. And that's why we're talking about our vision statement, which is reach up, rise up, reach out. This is our compass here at Good Hope Church. This is what we are all about. There are lots of important things to be doing around this world, but here at Good Hope Church, we focus on these three things, reaching up. A real relationship with the living God is available to you, and rise up. A real relationship with the living God will change you and reach out. A real relationship with the living God is a call to action. So we want to be about connecting with God, growing in our faith, and making a difference in this world. When we do that, we know we're doing our part. Last week, we talked about reaching up, connecting with God, and it was a call to prayer, a call to personal prayer, and then how that leads into rising up. Because God lifts us up when we humble ourselves before him. He lifts us up. Now, we need to do our due diligence. We need to put in our effort, but we acknowledge that it is God that lifts us up. He helps us with that. He empowers us along those lines. When we do our part, humbling ourselves before him, he will do his part and lift us up. James 4.10 says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. What an incredible benefit to have the Lord lifting you up. You know, if we reach up to God like a child for his dad, then he will come and meet us where we're at and lift us up. That is so important because you just can't do it on your own. We need the power of God. We need to be connected with God and have the empowerment of the spirit empowerment of God so that we can change so that we can rise up. Today we'll be talking about rising up, you know, the change that comes from a relationship with the living God and how that leads to reaching out, making a difference in this world and the way that it can facilitate that. So rise up. A real relationship with the living God will change you. This is an essential part of the scriptures that we are born again, that we are changed. We're made new. We're redeemed and set free. We're now alive in Christ. People walking by faith. We become ambassadors for Christ, disciples of the Lord. We're part of the body of Christ, children of God, co-heirs with Christ. We're different than we were before. A real relationship with the living God will change you. And then a real relationship with the living God is a call to action. Now, once we're changed, then that's going to lead into the call to action. And that's a lot of what we're talking about today, the rise up and the reach out part. So today, my specific call is I want to call Christians out to be different. Christians out not to be the same as everybody else in society, not to have the same values and do the same things, but to be called out to be different, to live holy and godly lives according to the scriptures, according to the word of God. We need to come out 
and be different. We need to rise up out of the things that are pulling us down, out of those things and into abundant life in Christ. When we do that, then we have something to share. And also then people will see it and they'll want what we have. So Jesus died on the cross so that we could be set free and have new life. He didn't die on the cross so that we could be stuck and trapped where we are and just have hope for an afterlife that's better. But he set us free so that we could be free in this life and have everlasting life in the life to come. So let's look at the gospel of John chapter eight, a very wonderful section of scripture. We're going to read verses 31 through 36, John eight, 31 through 36 here. Jesus is talking to a crowd and in the crowd, there are some people that like him and agree with him. And there are people who don't like him and who disagree with him. And so during the discussion, you get a little bit of a flavor of both of those. So let's pick it up. Verse 31 of chapter eight, the gospel of John, Jesus having a discussion to the Jews who had believed him. Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth We'll set you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So You can see that there were the Jews who believed him. And then there were people who were kind of coming against what he was saying. How can you say we need to be set free? Let's look into this section of scripture just a little bit. What makes someone a disciple of Jesus? Really actually a disciple of Jesus. Not someone who says they are, not someone who claims something, but who actually is. Here, Jesus said in verse 31, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. That means if we know what Jesus taught and we actually do it, then we are disciples of Jesus. If we don't know what he's taught or we just completely ignore what he's said, then we're clearly not disciples. We're not disciplining ourselves under the teachings of Christ. If we aren't studying the teachings of Christ and we aren't doing the teachings of Christ, then we're not disciples of Christ. But if we are actually holding to his teachings, that makes us disciples. And where does freedom come from then? He says, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. It's not just head knowledge. It's not religious trivia that sets us free. It's seeing the teachings of Christ, living them out, experiencing what that means and gaining an understanding of how to break free through what Jesus has taught us to do. And then we get into that place of freedom. Then you will know the truth if you hold to his teaching and the truth will set you free. Great example of this is loving your enemies. Jesus taught us to love our enemies. Now, how many people are slaves to the bitterness and the anger and the hurt that they have from the past? Well, when we endeavor to follow the teachings of Jesus and love our enemies, we learn a whole bunch of things. We see the truth. First truth is, is it's not easy. It's not just like you flip a switch and, and I go love my enemies now, you know, it's a process. It's difficult. It takes a lot of spiritual growth, but what you also notice 
is that as time goes on and you follow the teachings, like for example, pray for your enemies. So once you, you're endeavoring to love your enemies, so you pray for them. You can grit your teeth and pray for your enemies. I don't know that you can grit your teeth and love your enemies, but you can pray for them. And then as you do that, your heart starts to change. You start to become different in your attitude towards your enemies as you're praying for them. And then you find out that your bitterness is starting to fade away, that the unforgiveness that you have is starting to fade away. The darkness that you have from that terrible interaction that you had with your enemy or however long that process was, whatever the difficulty is, the foothold the enemy has through that in the bitterness and the unforgiveness and the hatred and the anger starts to fade and you become free. And That's something you have to fight for over time. So when you hold to the teachings like love your enemy, then you'll know the truth. The truth is it's not simple. It's a process. You got to fight for it. But when you get there, you're free. You're set free from bitterness and unforgiveness and anger and seeing the world as a dark, evil place. You get set free from those sorts of things and you're brought into the goodness of God. So That is how we're set free. And yet these religious people, they're saying, you know, we're Abraham's descendants. We've never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? They're like, we're not slaves. We don't need to be set free. Are there people today, and this was specifically religious people, are there religious people today who say, yep, I'm free in Christ, but they're obviously not. They're obviously bound to bitterness, to a judgmental spirit, to a a harsh, ugly, legalistic spirit. They're bound to even base sins in their life. They're still bound. Absolutely. And that's why Jesus clarifies here, because I believe there are a lot of religious people that maybe they think they're free, but they're not free. So Jesus says, very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. He said, if you're caught up in the things of this world and the things of darkness and evil things, if the enemy has a foothold in your heart, don't tell me you're free. You're not free. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. And then he says something rather harsh here. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family. You want a permanent place in the family? I want a permanent place in the family. So I want to be set free. I want to get past these things. Now, of course, we're all works in progress. So don't take it to the wrong extreme the other way. But man, you got to be working at it. You got to be trying to do your best. You got to be trying to connect with God and having him lift you up and opening yourself to that and getting free from these things. And then verse 36 again. So if the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. Hallelujah. I want to be free. I want to be free indeed. Again, Jesus sets us free from what? From sin, from being slaves to sin. And let's have some sophistication with this. You know, a lot of times I think people think of uh, just sexual sin and that's pretty much it, you know, or a legalistic set of religious rules and that's okay. Well, we're not doing the wrong thing by these religious rules. So we got to be good, but we all have anybody who's been in any kind of Christian religious culture and probably other religious cultures as well have seen people who technically are following the rules, but their heart is far, you know, their heart is far from God. They're technically following the rules, but they really aren't. One of the things I noticed about Christian people is, you know, when I was not a Christian, if somebody wanted to lie, they just told a lie. But Christians lie by technically telling the truth, but 
they're intentionally deceiving people. Uh, and it's just like, you're not fooling anybody. You are lying. That is not technically true. You are specifically trying to deceive somebody. So you're lying. It, God is not going to fall for that. We need to have some sophistication with being set free from sin and not get caught up into religious legalism or this loophole garbage. You know, this technically I'm still right. You are not. You can't technically be following God when your heart is far from him because we need to have our hearts in line with God. And that's clearly delineated in the scriptures here. Let me go to Galatians 5.1, I think is a fantastic scripture to look at with regards to that. So Galatians 5.1 says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So that's very much in line with what we read in John chapter 8. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. What's this yoke of slavery in the book of Galatians? Read the book of Galatians and you'll see they're slipping into legalism. They're slipping into trying to earn their salvation. They're slipping into trying to do certain religious things to justify themselves before God. But the fact of the matter is we just have to receive the forgiveness of God, receive justification from God. We can't earn that in any way. So they're becoming burdened by a yoke of slavery, and that yoke is a more deceptive type of sin, which is religious legalism, not walking by faith, but walking on your own righteousness, not receiving a righteousness from God, but walking in your own righteousness. That legalism, which is slavery, is something we need to be set free from. And I tell you what, it does not fool anybody. Colossians chapter two, we're going to read verses 20 through 23, and then we'll go into chapter three in a little bit. But this is the same idea of getting free from religious legalism, because some people, they are missing the ways of God, even though they're inundated in religion. And that's a disaster. So we need to be sophisticated when this being set free concept is being talked about, because sometimes there is religious bondage, and we don't want to trade a worldly bondage for a religious bondage, that's absolutely a disaster. We want to be free. So let's look at this religious bondage like we did in Galatians 5.1. Here we see Colossians 2, verse 20 through 23. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. So this is a religious form and there's behavior associated with it, but the heart isn't changed. This sensual indulgence, you know, that of course can include lust and things of that nature, but it also would include a judgmental spirit, hatred towards people, anger, just yielding to those dark forces in your heart is what that's talking about. And trading a worldly classical sin bondage for a religious yucky bondage, you're not any better off. You haven't gotten free yet. 
So you want to be free from that religious bondage as well, because the flaw of legalistic bondage, where you're religious and you're technically following the rules, but you clearly aren't, that flaw is blatantly obvious to everybody else. And it's also very repulsive. Non-Christians, people who don't believe in Jesus, who see Christians like that, are pushed away from God. It's something that repulses people from God. Instead, we are called to be different. We are called to be free, set free from sin, set free from the darkness of this world, not brought from one darkness into a religious darkness, but a peculiar people, a different type of person. We are to rise up and become someone different. First Peter 2 9 through 12, that's where the peculiar people thing comes from. And uh, that's a King James translation here in the, the NIV, the 2011 NIV. It doesn't say peculiar people. It says something different. So let's read First Peter 2, starting in verse 9. It says, but you are a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. That's what in the King James is translated peculiar people, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires, which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So here we are called out to be different. We're called as Christians, as followers of Christ, not to be caught up in the same things that the world is caught up in and not to trade that for a legalistic bondage. You know, that's also a disaster, but we're called to be a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a chosen people. God's special possession, a peculiar people. We're called out to be different. And the effect of this is that we can live good lives among the pagans, you know, those outside the faith, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So even though they disagree with us, they'll see the character and the godliness of the followers of Jesus because they're different. But a legalistic person, a person under religious bondage, they're not going to look at that person and be impressed with their character and think there's something good there. That isn't a good life among the pagans. That's something that actually pushes people away. Let's look at Colossians chapter one. We just read a little bit ago from Colossians chapter two. It was the end of chapter two, and we're going to go into chapter three. And this is the section of scripture I want to dig in a little bit deeper with about coming out and being different as Christians being changed, being new, born again, having a different life, being set free, alive in Christ, all these things. We are called to rise up because a real relationship with the living God will change you, not just give you a hope for heaven, but change you today. So I'm going to read Colossians 3, 1 through 14, a beautiful section of scripture. So I encourage you to read along, pay attention to this. It's just an amazing, amazing section of scripture. Colossians 3, 1. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. 
Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge and in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. So this is the type of peculiar people we are to be. We are to rise up out of the dark things listed in this section of scripture and into the abundant life that comes through the godly parts of this section of scripture. So the first part verses one through four speak of having a godly focus, seeing the things of God, seeing eternal things, having that big picture, spiritual vision, you know, having your heart set on things above not caught up in all of the little things going on down here, but focused on Christ, looking up at him. So we don't want to be caught up either in coveting the things of this world. You know, I mean, hey, if you can have a nice car and a nice house, fantastic. That's great. But don't be needing those things. Make sure that you put the kingdom of God, the ways of God first, and don't have a covetous heart for the things of this world. You also don't want to get caught up in the strife of this world. You know, we want to have a kingdom vision. We want to have our minds set on things above, looking at Christ, not caught up in all the petty squabbles and all the strife that's going on in our world today. Now, again, go ahead and take your stand. And if you can stop some injustices, if you can make a difference, go ahead and do that, you know, but Don't let it sink into your heart and darken your heart. That's a dangerous place. We don't want to be in that spot. We need a godly focus, setting our hearts on things above. The second thing we see here in this section is rising up out of the old verses five through nine, big list of stuff, you know, that we rise up out of sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language, lying, all these things we rise up out of. So we need to make sure that we leave that stuff in the past. One of the things that I'm worried about is with COVID is good Christian people choosing to lie because of COVID. You know, they don't want to wear a mask. So they'd say they have a medical reason, but they really don't. And And now you're lying. Don't lie because of COVID. That's a terrible reason to become a liar. You know, don't be that person. Come out and be separate. 
Be someone who speaks truth. You know, we don't want to have politics bring us into slander. We need to not be people who slander others. So we don't want our political perspectives to bring us into a place of slander. So we need to make sure that as we, of course, have to deal with COVID, as we, of course, have to deal with politics, you know, go ahead and vote, you know, be part of it, but don't be brought into slander. Don't be brought into lying. Don't be brought into malice. Don't be brought into these dark things. Instead, we're called to be different. We're to rise up out of those things and be transformed. And it doesn't matter who you are, what your background is. These verses 10 and 11, just amazing. So we want to put on the new self and be renewed in the image of our creator. And it says, no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. So, you know, Gentiles, non-Jew, doesn't matter if you're Jewish and you have a great spiritual heritage or you have no heritage in the kingdom of God. You're a Gentile. You're an outsider. It doesn't matter. You know, that's circumcised, uncircumcised. Barbarian, Scythian. I looked up Scythian. I didn't know what that is. Basically, it means savage. It means just a barbarian. It means just a people that are uncivilized. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter what your religious background is, what your cultural background is, slave or free or economic background. It doesn't matter. Racial background, none of that matters. But Christ is all... And is in all. So wherever you're coming from, whatever your situation is, whatever your past is, either where you've belonged or what you've done, you can come and be changed and be a child of God. The uh, last part there is we rise up into godliness, being renewed in knowledge, in the image of our creator. So we are God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved who need to clothe ourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience with forgiveness, you know, and love. These are the things we're to be clothed in being renewed in the knowledge, in the image of our creator, becoming people with godly character, with godly motives, and with a godly perspective. This is what we are to rise up into. And this will quickly lead to reach out. A real relationship with the living God is a call to action. And there's two main reasons why this will easily lend itself to reaching out. The first one is because you will share the heart of God for hurting people. And you'll want to include others in the forgiveness of God, in the changing that happens. You'll want to include others in the freedom in Christ. You want to include others in everlasting life. You'll want to include people. Your heart will be like that of the heart of God who would leave the 99 to go after the one. And your heart will be, oh, what about the one? Instead of having disdain for the outsider and judgment for the outsider, your heart breaks and you want to bring them in. So it clearly leads to reach out because our heart is like the heart of God for hurting people and we want to include them. And then the other way that rise up leads into reach out very easily is because people will see how good it is to serve God and they'll want to be included. You know, they'll want to be part of it. If we're living our lives and we're not stressed out, you know, we're not all angry and bitter, not all contentious, but instead we're full of peace and grace and wisdom and able to live this life in the peace of God, through the grace of God, having the favor of God on us, having an eternal perspective, not caught up in all the little things. If we're able to walk through life like that, other people are going to see that and they're going to be like, man, 
how is this working for you? And it's going to be easy to share your faith because people will be asking, how is your marriage so good? How come you can be facing a a global pandemic and not be living in fear? How can you be doing that? People will want to know. But of course, if we fail in godliness, if instead we're just the same as everybody else and maybe you add to it a religious bondage, well, you know, that's just not going to work very well. Still stressed out, still contentious, still angry. And then with some religious judgmentalism added to that, you know, that's just yucky. And then that'll end up with Romans 2, 23 and 24, which is such a poignant but unsettling section, says this, Romans 2, 23 and 24, you who boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? As it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. You who claim to be a Christian, a follower of God, do you fail to follow the ways of God? If you do, then people who don't know God are going to blaspheme God because they're going to look at you and think God must be a fool. So don't be like that. You know, it goes both ways. If we fail to rise up into abundant life in Christ, where we can love our enemies, where we can be people of peace in the midst of the storm, if we fail to do that, then it's going to push people away from God. And that's terrible. If the people of God are unforgiving, small-minded, angry, snobbish and clicky, are negative, they've got no peace and no love, then that's going to push people away from God. And it's going to be extremely difficult to reach out. Angry, judgmental, prideful Christians who try to share their faith with other people have had bad experiences because the other people are like, you want to tell me how to live? Look at you. And it just doesn't work. Instead, we need to be different. We need to be called out. A peculiar people, a holy nation, a royal priesthood, the people of God living in godly ways, then with godliness spread out throughout our society and throughout our world, the people who don't experience that will see it and think, oh, I want that peace. I want that joy. I want that ability to forgive and not hold on to bitterness. But if we're full of strife and contentiousness and anxiety and fear and unforgiveness and bitterness, what do we have to share? We must rise up into godliness in order to share that with others. So now it's time for me to tell you the best teaching on revival that I've ever heard. And I am firmly convinced it is the greatest teaching on revival that has ever been taught. And it's not in the Bible, though I think you could probably find some verses that have to do with it. But here's the greatest teaching on revival. You can Google this. I'm sure you can find out who actually taught it. I actually don't know, but I heard it down the line. You know, it was passed down. And here's the greatest teaching on revival. Do you want to see revival in America? Do you want to see revival in your state, in your community, in your family? Do you want to see revival? Here's how you have revival. You go home, you put yourself in your prayer closet, you know, your personal prayer area that we talked about last week. You draw a circle around your feet and you stay in that circle until revival breaks out in that circle. And then when revival breaks out in that circle, then you step out of it and you go out into your world and you're bringing revival with you. Let's say you have 10 people and they all go home and do that. And then those 10 people come together. You're going to have revival in that small group. If a church goes home and they all get revival personally, and then they come back to church, you got revival at the church. That's how you get revival. It starts with you. 
It starts with us personally and individually. If I want to see revival, I need to grab hold of revival for me. If you want to see revival, you need to grab hold of revival for you. But if you're unwilling to do that, but you want other people to be revived, I want other people to follow Jesus. I want other people to be set free. I don't, I'm not going to, you know, but they should be. Well, that makes no sense whatsoever. You clearly don't believe that it's good if you don't want it for you. You only want it for others. Revival is good. We want to grab hold of the good things of God. One way you can do that too is to participate in the return. You know, uh, Jonathan Kahn, the return, the return website.org, 10 days of prayer, I believe 10, 11 days of prayer. And then a big event on September 26th, we're going to be hosting in Cloquet at Common Grounds, the Kingdom Builders building here in Cloquet, September 26th, 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. simulcast of what's going on at the National Mall. So you can participate in that. Whatever you do, go seek revival yourself for you. Grab hold of that. And then you're changed and you've got some to share with others. Let's wrap this up. If you're far from God, now's your time to come to him. If you've never known God, if you've seen the bad examples of people who are actually in religious bondage and they're telling you how terrible you are and you look at them and you're like, oh my goodness, I don't want to be like you. Uh, If that's all you've seen, that is a lie. There is true freedom in Christ. There is a real place of freedom from anxiety and fear and bitterness and unforgiveness and just the cruelty of this world. There's a place of healing and freedom. And I invite you to seek that. It starts with being forgiven and set free to be changed, receiving the forgiveness of God, and then pledging to learn the ways of God and walk with Christ through this life. That's how it begins. And then that starts a huge growth process where, you know, if you're really his disciple, you'll hold to his teachings and you'll learn the truth and the truth will set you free. There's a progressive growth of truth. But if you're a believer, I call you to come out and be different. Don't just be the same as everybody else and think that you're good. Be a representative of Christ. Be a godly representative of the Lord in this world. If you're full of bitterness and judgmentalism and you don't like this person and that person, you're all caught up in strife and you think you're better than everybody, you need to repent and you need to change because you are called to be different. A priest of God. We are a holy nation, a royal priesthood. Let me read Colossians 3.12 again. It says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And then jumping to verse 14, and over all of these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. We need to be people of love, people who are different, people who in this time, this cancel culture, everybody's mad about everything. We need to be people of grace, people of wisdom, people of humility, people of love, because we have connected with God. He's lifted us up into this place and we can bring it to the world. So let's pray. Heavenly father, for those who don't know you, I pray right now, they would ask for forgiveness of sins, freedom from the things that they're ashamed of, and that they would be able to be completely free and turn their lives to you and start learning your ways, knowing that it's a process, that there's things they have to learn and go through, but that they'll get to a good place. And father, for those who consider themselves Christians, Lord, help us to not be the same as everybody else. And certainly help us not to be caught in religious bondage, 
But Lord, let us step up and be different, be called out as servants of you to be people of humility, people of kindness and gentleness, people who are wise in a world where people jump to conclusions in two seconds. Help us to, Lord, be people who are people of forgiveness, people who are patient, Lord, people who have our eyes on you, an eternal perspective. Lord, help us to be lights in this world because we know that then we can receive freedom ourselves and we can draw other people into that. So Lord, bless us in this way. Help us to be called out and be lights for you in this world. In Jesus' name, amen.